Hello. Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you? Super duper. <laughs> Great. How about yourself? Doing fine. You know, it's good. It's all good. There's no nothing to complain about. All good, you say? Mm-hmm. All of it? Mm-hmm. Everything universally good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I'm into that. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I don't, everything's weird. Everything's weird. Well, now, wait a minute. You just said everything was good. Well, now you're you, saying everything's weird. Everything's weird. What's weird? I don't know. Everything's weird. Well, come on. Lay it on me. It's just, What's it's weird? weird. It's a weird, uh, you know, it's weird. It's like, you, you. I can't make heads or tails of what people uh, are doing. Hmm. You know, like, uh, well, you, wear, you, know. you wear a mask out and about when you go out and about, right? I went to the grocery store last night. I had a I had a a nice big mask on. Mm-hmm. It was late late in the day, nine o'clock, nine thirty mm-hmm. at night. Grocery store was full of people. Nobody had any masks on. Really? They were all wandering really? around, just being in the store with no masks on, blocking the aisles. And is there was, in your city or state? Is there any kind of um, you know guideline or recommendation mandate of some sort that says what people are supposed to be doing? Is there a requirement? Is there a fine if they fail to do it? I don't. I don't know the answer. You know, everyone working at the store was wearing a mask and a lot of them had gloves on. You know, they were all very, uh, very prepared and diligent. There were signs that said, please don't spray your disinfectant on our keyboards. We're uh-huh. taking care of that for you. And there was a person inside the door with the, with wet wipes and all this stuff. But then the store just had a bunch of just dopes. I mean, probably one in 20 people had a mask on. Well, here, uh, and I think, you know, they, they did issue an order or a mandate or, you know, whatever it is that the, it's called in local mm-hmm. government that says, essentially, you're, you're required to wear one when you are in and among other human beings. You don't have to right. wear one while you're exercising outdoors, although people do. You don't have to wear them, you know, when you're driving, although people do. Um, right. Those are two things I'm not sure. And in fact, I actually saw an article this morning that I tweeted about that said, like specifically said, you don't need to wear one when you're exercising. And it was like an epidemiologist saying about it. Yeah, but whatever, if you want to, if you, if you want to do that to yourself, sure. Uh-huh. But everybody universally here, if they're, if you're out, everyone that I see in the areas that I've been, which range from up in, um, you know, kind of Northwest Austin, all the way down to downtown. Everybody has them on universally. They won't let you into the grocery store unless you do. They have the social distancing markers on the ground so that when you stand in line, they're making sure you're six feet away from the person ahead of you. They don't let you walk up to a register and just get in line. They kind of send you up and down an aisle of just people waiting six feet apart in that line before they're sent out to the individual checkout lanes. Uh, so it's, you know, they're very serious about it here. Uh, but there's still a lot of things that I see that are perplexing. I mentioned for one, the, uh, people in their cars driving with masks on. And I wasn't sure about that. I thought a lot of that was probably fear based. And I Mm -hmm. did a little Twitter poll on it. You know, I gave them three or four different ways of answering it. Uh, and only one of them was not a fear-based answer. And most people pick the main fear-based answers, but you know, whatever, if people want to wear it in their car while they're driving alone, 
that's cool. Let them, let them do it. They're not spreading it around that way, but it's just, it's, it's weird because there's so much that doesn't make sense in the way that people are responding because it's a fear response and fear doesn't make sense. And there's that great line in one of, I know one of your favorite movies, the movie I hear you quote the most men in black where, um, uh, Kay is talking to Jay and he says something like, you know, a person is smart, but people are dumb. Mm. And, uh, I know you've, you know, you, you think about that quite a bit and it's, oh, yeah, I do. I do. It, it's interesting to me because we have this situation now where you hear different things for, depending on whether it's what TV station you're watching or whether you're listening to a podcast, whether you're reading an article or where you're reading the article, so much different information out there that people, I think it's hard enough to people give, giving people a choice between, you know, like what condiment they want to put on their French fries. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that right there is the big decision. And now you've said to them, maybe if you make the wrong choice, you might die or you might kill your family. So they're like, well, I'll just wear the mask all the time. Then even when I'm on my bike, I saw a guy riding his bike, you know, like, uh, you know, what are they like a 50, 58 speed bikes now? But back mm-hmm. when we were young, they were 10 speeds. He's yeah. riding his, he's riding his 10 speed. And, um, and he's got one on while he's riding on the side of the road. He's wearing one of the masks. I'm thinking, God, can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be to try and exercise with that on? No, no, it's it's hard to walk around with one on. I read that a guy was driving and crashed his car and killed himself accidentally. And the cause of death was that he wasn't, he was basically suffocating himself under an N95 mask, wasn't getting enough air passed out, lost control of the car, killed himself, hit a Whoa. light pole. Oh, I mean, walking around uh, the store last night with my mask on as a glasses wearer, mm-hmm. uh, I was trying trying to get my glasses to stop uh, fogging up. Didn't know how to do it. Didn't know how to do it. Well, there's a couple tricks that you can do for that, um, but you've got to have the mask that you wear has got to have one of the metal things that goes around your nose and you pr- got to like really pinch pinch your nose with it. Oh yeah, I'm wearing a, a a handcrafted mask. Me too, but you're, I'm guessing yours doesn't have the doesn't have a metal thing crimper, sewed into no. it. I'll get I'll get no. Hattie to send you one. Oh, how nice! Yeah, how she's, nice. she's making them like uh, every ten minutes. She she makes a new one. I think. How exciting! I would love one. You know, I have a big face. Remember, most I'll tell of you, you've got a big face. Yeah, handmade masks have not been working for me lately because a lot of them don't. They just go to my chin. They don't go all the way around. I'm going to send you while we're on the show. She made, uh, I, I think, you know, she's made a five, 600 of them. What? Uh, but I'm going to, I think it's all she does now. Uh, but I'm going to send you a picture of, of a couple that she's made. And, uh, you know, I'll tell her, I'll tell her that you need an extra, extra large. Well, all right then. Yeah. Well, hot damn. And she does them in this cool fabric that she found. Yeah. Here's a picture coming your way. So, well, we'll, so it we'll make you an extra, it'll be like, you know, when someone has like acromegaly or something and they're just, you know, they keep growing. Yeah. I'll just tell her it's like, a like that. Yeah. Sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Except it was just, yeah, it was just my face that kept growing. Right. It turns out Washington state, although we've had a, we've had a, a fantastic response to the, the uh, crisis. Uh, it does not seem that masks are required, but only recommended here. 
That's weird to me. I got to say, Dan, that um, uh, this return to um, the this return to the world that everyone's doing. Yeah. Oh, look at look at these masks. Oh, those are beautiful. They yeah. they look uh, they look like uh, stone. They're yeah, like, that's uh, yeah. They look like a, like a stone fabric, right? Yeah, that's that's cool. I'm digging those a lot. Those seem like they would fit if they were a little bigger. Yeah, she'll just she'll make one. You know, I think there's this is like there's a size small, medium, large, and gargantuan. Yeah, gargantuan. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta I gotta say that the hardest thing about I don't know one of the hardest things about living in a world full of uh, individual people who are smart, but people in general who are dumb is not succumbing to schadenfreude Hmm. the you know the the um the desire to watch people who you think are making bad choices uh suffer as a result of those choices and i know that's not exactly schadenfreude but i think it's a i think it's a modern um it's a modern problem. Maybe it's an ancient problem too. I mean, the German, it's an old enough problem. The Germans thought to make a word for it, mm-hmm. but I, I think people on both sides of the political political spectrum are always waiting for the other side to get their comeuppance because they feel like it's self-evident that the choices they're making are bad. And so, you know, right wingers are always are always pointing out uh, problems that cities have and gloating that those problems are a result of bad policy or of, of right. just liberalism in general. Right. And right now I think uh, among science-based people um, and I count us there in the, in the science-based community, there is this tendency. And I don't think people are saying it out loud except, except for the, except maybe in private or say, or, you know, the, the people that say this kind of thing out loud, you can't keep them from saying it, but the, the feeling that all this, um, all this scoffing at social distancing and scoffing at the danger of the virus and, and rush to reopen state economies and so forth. I fear that science based communities of people who are continuing to social distance are kind of waiting for some schadenfreude in the form of a resurgence of the virus amongst communities of non-science oriented people. Right. And that feels like a very dangerous tendency, not Mm. anything you should let yourself slide into because no, and I think science-based people also know this for the most part that you don't ever want to wish ill on someone else. And also that it's never so neat. It'll never be contained amongst those people that are, that are scoff laws. It will always go out from there, no matter, you know, and so, you know, continuing to social distance really is our only option. Um, but having said that, having said that we should never indulge in, Schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. I cannot stop indulging in it. Give me indulging, an example. example indulging in a desire to um, not a desire. That's the absolutely the wrong word, and I'm I'm ashamed 
but just I'm sort of watching. Let let me put it this way: I have I've tried to figure out exactly the Google search that I want uh, to discover data that suggests that uh, states that have not followed aggressive social distancing mm-hmm. have higher rates of infection. I'm just looking to make that connection. Right. And the problem, of course, is that if that connection is never clearly made, and I think there's evidence that states like Nebraska and South Dakota now have unexpectedly high rates of infection, although, of course, it's hurting poor people more. But uh, th- there was that guy who who was uh, talking shit about the virus on on the, on Facebook and saying it was a conspiracy, and then he died. Yeah, and uh, and that the 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 prevalence of that story suggested a kind of unspoken Schadenfreude. You know, it 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 made the rounds far in excess of what it would have if people weren't kind of gloating about it. Right. But there hasn't been an explosion of infection somewhere like it like it like a devastating one amongst spring breakers or mega church uh, virus deniers or mm-hmm. you know people that are people that are um, talking about social distancing as though it's all a fraud and so forth. And so I'm working every day not to do that kind of Google search, not to look for evidence that uh, that you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. I think it's very unhealthy. I think it's psychically and spiritually unhealthy to do. But that said, I just can't. I can't quite exorcise it from my my daily. Um, uh, news following that just the, the kind of expectation I, I, I stopped short of saying hope but that the that that social distancing the the uh, the the wisdom of it is borne out it doesn't matter is the thing why 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 do I want that it doesn't matter it doesn't affect me I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay home no matter what uh no matter what the news says, I shouldn't even be reading the news. Yeah, what are you reading that for? I got no reason to read the no news. No reason. If, if the if it's the, just going to make the, you feel bad, it's going to be wrong. It is. If the crisis abates, I'm confident that you will tell me, Dan. Yeah. You know, I'll get on this show with you one 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 day, and you'll say like, "Wow, I'm not wearing a mask when I go out anymore." That seems like the crisis has abated, and at yeah. that point, I'll feel like, "Oh, good. Glad I wasn't reading the news that whole time." <laughs> But unfortunately, that's not the case. I'm not, I'm I'm reading about coronavirus more often than I am about uh, UFOs, and that's insane. Some isn't it? Pretty pretty significant switcheroo. Yeah. How much, Dan? Do you feel like the uh, recent Defense Department acknowledgement of those Navy UFOs is um, <clears throat> is a, like long time plan to release that kind of information in times where everyone's attention is uh, distracted elsewhere 
so that uh, so that they're gradually laying the groundwork as they've been doing for a long time with the movie Frozen and uh, and the Bratz series of dolls <laughs> to to accustom us to thinking of uh, like implausibly skinny beings with giant heads and enormous eyes. Right. Uh, thinking of them as friends and companions to our children. Oh yeah. I mean the idea, the first time that I saw a really, really good illustration of what is nowadays just considered to be the, what we would call a gray alien was on the cover of a book, uh, communion by Whitley Stryber, Strieber, Stryber, I would say. And, uh, and I, I remember seeing that book and, and, and the eyes and just being like, whoa, you know, buying the book, reading it. And just that was the first time that I saw that image in a what I would call a very mainstream kind of a way. This was a best selling book, you know, and it was on the bookshelves and everyone was seeing it. You know, so much has happened over the last 10, 15, 20 years in creating what you've described, you're talking about something that is like a thin body, big head, big eyes in the head. That shape of what we think of is now in every aspect of our culture. It's the logo for Alienware computers. I mean, it's literally everywhere. And looking back to when we were kids, Aliens were very much like little green men from Mars kind of thing. They were something in in movies. And now I think if you asked most people, if you showed them that picture, even just a very rough sketch of it, they'd right away. Oh, that's the gray alien. That's an alien. They know it. It's, it's very much a part of our society and a part of our world think now. And so that is definitely from the media. That is definitely from that kind of thing. But how does this go back to disclosure? How does this go back to the recent acknowledgement of the, from the Pentagon of these videos that were already acknowledged by the Navy as being real? Now we have the Pentagon declassifying them. And in that sense saying they're real and we don't know what they are, but this is a thing. It's a thing we've seen. That's interesting Pretty unprecedented, wouldn't you say? It is. And the timing of it's also very interesting because what what people in the UFO community always say is that they will, if, if you, if you pay attention to the, um, the politics of all this stuff, you know, they often say that, oh, they'll release something like that to distract from the other bigger story. Oh, a bigger story that, oh, there's something. Yeah. And this is, again, I'm not in this camp. I don't think this way, but they'll say, oh, they're trying to not get you to pay attention to subject A, so we'll show them some UFO stuff. We'll, we'll reveal oh, the UFO stuff. so there's a UFO camp that is just saying uh, that UFOs are a distraction from uh, some Bilderberg group uh, sort of like money f- weirdness or something else, but uh, chemtrails. Right. I see. I see. So- Again, I don't subscribe to this, but a lot of the time they're saying, well, this is because of this other thing that's going on and pay no attention to this big story. Look, UFO stuff over here. Look, UFOs. Well, my take on it is actually along the lines of what you said is that maybe they're using UFOs the opposite way right now. They're saying pay attention to this to this thing that pretty much was already out there that everybody in the UFO community has already known about. 
um, pay attention to this and not this other stuff. I think it's definitely a distraction of some kind. I don't know though that, that their acknowledgement that it's real really does anything. There's so much information out there that's, that's not released. There's so much information. Our government and the governments of the world absolutely know a lot more than they're sharing. You know, there are people who would insist that there are, you know, that there were downed vehicles that have been retrieved. In other words, things that were retrieved from, from a crash. There's so much, um, that's out there that is just people would insist this is real. There's tons of information all the way up to and including they've got live EBEs and they've got, you know, bodies in, in storage and they've got uh, UFO technology that's been completely re-engineered and whether or not any of that's true, it doesn't matter. What matters is, our government certainly knows a lot more than they're sharing. And I was talking to somebody about this offline in, in the real world, and they were saying, well, why don't they just release it? And I was saying, look at the chaos that has been caused to our entire world and our econ- world global economy because there's a virus and I don't want to downplay or minimize what's going on with, with the virus and what it can do, but that it seems like the majority of people will, would be okay if they got it. I don't want it. I'm doing everything I can to avoid getting it. I know there's a lot of at-risk people. But, you know, look at what the threat, the potential threat of some kind of virus that you might get. And if you got it, it might make you sick. And if you got sick, you might get really sick. And if you got really sick, you might die. To we're not alone in the universe. And by the way, these beings are here and they're flying around. We can't see them. And there's definitely nothing that we can do about them. And by the way, they can disable our nuclear warheads easily if they want to. And they move in vehicles that are not affected by gravity and travel at thousands of miles per hour through the air or water. Doesn't matter. And by the way, they've been abducting us for about 50 years. You know, that's a lot more than there's a virus that might make you sick. Um, it would people who say, Oh no, society would be ready for it. Well, guess how they introduce it to society slowly over many, 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 many years, kind of like they're doing now so that you can turn on TV and see a cartoon of a gray alien and be like, Oh yeah, I know that's the alien guy. Well, in another 10 or 15 years, it's going to be such a part of our culture that, Maybe when it's an ad, when it's revealed that there's a real thing to it, who knows? Maybe people will be a little more receptive to it. But there's well, don't, a, don't you feel like the the grays would have to be colluding? I mean, uh, absolutely. You know, that's the that's the, the that's the theory. They're in on it, right? Uh, is that is that the government would be for whatever reason um, working with them? Or in, in, mm-hmm. in communication with them mm-hmm. in some way. And then this is, you know, again, I'm one of these people that I believe that there's something going on. I don't know what it is. And I want to know what it is. And that makes me different from a lot of the people in this space because a lot of the people are insistent that it is real or they, they know that it's real or they know that it's not real. And for me, I, I can't say whether it's real or not. I just want answers. I want to know. And you know what? If 
if it turns out that we have alien technology, I, I want the alien technology. I want mm. zero point energy. I want a, you know, anti-gravity vehicle. I want cures to things that get, you know, ail us. Um, sure. You want a faster uh, 5G network. Well, I don't want a 5G want- network at all, but yes, I want, oh. I want better things. And, 60. And, <laughs> I don't want any G. How, how but, many G's do you want? <laughs> none. But the thing, the thing about it is, is there's something going on. There is something going on. And now the Pentagon has said, yeah, there's something going on. That's all we're going to tell you. But yeah, those videos, mm-hmm, they're real. It's not us up there. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something it's not the disclosure that we want, but it's the disclosure we've got. I know there's something going on. <laughs> we would like to say thank you very much to Brooke Linen. Bringing comfort into your home is the ultimate form of self-care. And now, more than ever, it's important to take care of yourself and each other. You know, you spend a third of your life in your sheets. You want them to be comfortable. Put comfort first, you know, new bedding, loungewear, towels, and more. You're at home now, right? You've been at home for a while. You're starting to realize these things matter. These things are important. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but you hate making your bed. And half the reason I hate making is because you don't know which side is the long side and which side is the short side for that bottom sheet. Well, Brooklyn and they want to make everything easier. They want to make your life more comfortable. It's about comfort. It's about feeling good. And so they do little things that make your life better. They have these little long and short labels on the side of the sheet, on the inside that you can't see it. So it shows you right away, oh, right, this is the long side. This is, is it a big deal? No. Is it useful? Is it helpful? Does it make your life better? Absolutely, yes. And this is, you know, it makes such a difference. You were working from home, staying comfortable. It's the best way to stay productive. Linen is here for every part of your daily routine, not just getting a good night's sleep, but they have these other essentials that you can get. They have sheets, they have comforters, they've got loungewear, they've got towels, and they all come with a lifetime warranty. Brooklinen, that's spelled B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. It's the perfect place to find all the comforts for home. Like I said, they want you to relax. They want you to be comfortable. And they're having an event, a big, I think it's the biggest event of the year for them. They call it the birthday sale. It's happening and you do not want to miss it. You're going to get incredible savings on sheets, bedding, towels, loungewear, their newest hammam and linen collections. One of my friends got the linen sheets and she is like, she will not stop talking about it. They're awesome. If you're listening after the birthday sale ends, you can still get 10% off your first order and free shipping on all the new sheets when you use promo code ROADWORK, one word. So go to brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK. That will get you 10% off your first order if you're not taking part of this amazing birthday sale, but go check out the sale. This is great stuff. It's the only sheets I will use. They can't pay me to say that. It's true. Ever since I got the first set of Brooklinen sheets, it is the only sheets I will use because they're the best. So thanks very much to Brooklinen for making my life more comfortable and supporting this show. I know it won't be long. Won't be long before you're gone. There's something going on. 
Dan, uh-huh. did I ever tell you the story about the time that I was on a cruise ship and uh, and asked the captain what the weirdest thing he ever saw in the ocean was? Uh, no, I don't think so. But I, even if you did, I've forgotten it. I want to hear it again. Well, I was on a cruise ship. As you know, this happens to me uh, every year. And uh, it, uh, it went, it came down from up above that the captain of the boat was a big Star Trek fan. And he learned that Will Wheaton was on his boat and he wanted to meet Will Wheaton. Mm. And these are, uh, all these cruise ships, they have, uh, the officer class is, uh, it, they're all Dutch. So they're, it's a whole, this is a Dutch enterprise, uh, cruise shipping, mm-hmm. ship, ship cruising. And so this is a big opportunity because, you know, the captain of one of those boats is, there's still a kind of naval, uh, sense of decorum on on uh, cruise ships for the most part you know they're just like hey how many daiquiris can you put in yourself but then you watch the officers kind of walk around and there you know there's there's not any saluting as far as i can tell but there's a lot of heel clicking and oh. and uh and you're not allowed in certain parts of the ship and it's um and the captain is treated with tremendous deference so the opportunity to go to the bridge of this ship was a great opportunity. And Will uh, said to a small group of us, you know, will you come with me? I'm not sure I want to be just go up on the bridge with this captain. Like, let's let's turn it into a tour. So right. a small it's not, group it's not of the us, bridge of the Enterprise, uh, his Enterprise no. anyway. No, and the, and the bridge of a, of a big ship like that these days, it, it just is a big open space with like five ATMs. You know, it's like ATMs with big screens and people kind of standing at them. I mean, the ship's doing a lot of steering yeah the ship does everything now it's kind of like a jumbo jet you know the pilots could let that thing land on its on its own they're just there to uh to make sure nothing bad goes happening anyway we walk around we get up there the captain is a big sort of jovial dutch sort of red-nosed uh 60 year old dutch guy barrel chested um as someone with a long history in in this space, I'm going to say that he's a bit of a drinker, <laughs> heavy, heavy drinker, uh, and he clearly uh, relishes being the captain of the boat. And uh, you can tell that the crew is intimidated by him, you know. And there's a lot of once you're once they're not pretending to be nice people uh, walking around the dining room saying hello to everybody when they're just with one another. There's a lot of naval formality and, you know, the young ensigns or whatever do not look the captain in the eye type of thing. All right. So he's showing us around the bridge and, you know, over here is the azimuth and this over here is the navigator bot and uh, so forth and so on. This, this Here's the charts and we're all eating it up. But, you know, the rest of the people, it's Will and, and a, a small handful of us and you know, there's an interest in the, in it for the for its novelty, but I, no one uh, no one in our small group is like a, a nerd for this kind of thing. You know, they're not the typical nerd is typical. I'm sorry. Um, well, there is no typical Joko Cruise nerd, right? But among my performer nerd friends, most of them are not gearheads or machine heads 
you know they are they're performers and they're they're media heads you know they a lot of the music they make or the stuff they make refers to other media other movies games they like tv they like um books in particular but like foundational media properties and i think it's because what they like about it is that 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 those earlier works generated ideas that they think are interesting right okay and a lot of them were computer programmers but they weren't you know they weren't like wiring the office for LAN or anything. You know, mm-hmm. they were sitting, working, they were tinkering, making apps, or I don't know what programmers do, clearly. But I'm a machine head. You know, I'm a nerd about big boats and trains, like a five-year-old. Uh-huh. So we're walking around, and I'm asking all these questions. And the the um, executive officer and the staff on the boat, and I get into this all the time, right? Where they're con- they are aware that the captain wants to talk to this one person, Will Wheaton, and Will is there with his wife, and that's fine. But who are these other people? <laughs> and in particular, why is that uh, uh, that big hairy one in the back, like asking all these questions about the ship? Like it, it just. It's just making people uncomfortable, but it's not making the captain uncomfortable. He loves talking about his his craft. So they're wrapping it up, and they're like, well, you know, thanks for coming up. It's been a pleasure having you. And the captain kind of doesn't want us to go, but his, you know, his staff is like, well, we got to get back to doing the job of staring out at the ocean. And the captain said, are there any last questions? And I said, yes. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on the ocean? Mm-hmm. And oh, his staff just everybody. You could just see their shoulders hunch up. They all s- stared down at the floor. <laughs> the 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 exec or whoever it was that was kind of masterminding this was like, "Well, thanks for coming." You know, everybody out. <laughs> and the captain gets this excited look on his face, and he says, "Once." Years ago, when I was just a you know a lowly first lieutenant uh, on night watch on a on a ship you know named the Santa Maria hmm. or whatever, <laughs> he said in the middle of the night we saw lights under the the water, hmm. and while we watched, the lights surfaced, and it was a craft in the dark, and it rose up out of the sea and flew off into the sky and wow. disappeared. And the, the exec at that point was like, okay, tour over, let's go. And all of <laughs> nobody, I, I mean, I, now wait, I, were they sort of acting as the handlers for the captain yes. because they knew that, that he was a little crazy or, or what? Absolutely. That okay. he, they, they were just afraid that he was going to pull a flask out and start spilling booze on everybody. But also this is not, you know, I think one of them was probably a representative of the cruise line, and this is not the story that they want told. That the that the captain of this enormous boat is also has UFO stories. Right, right. But I scanned the faces of all of the other sailors on the bridge, and none of them were smirking. Hmm. They were all just like staring at a spot on the floor or on the wall. 
and like at attention, just trying to have this nightmare be over, get these people off the bridge, and right. please, right. please let the captain stop talking about it. And I wanted to stay and talk to the captain about it all afternoon, but we were sh- we were shooed off the deck or shooed off the bridge, and back to the world. And you know, I was just tingling. Mm. Um, but weirdly, like the uh, the other nerds. Um, my fellow entertainment nerds, none of them really jumped on it. And I was like, did you hear, you know, that's like, so, oh, and they were like, da, 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 da. Let's go down to the Dungeons and Dragons room. And I, I was surprised that it was not more popular with the, it just, it felt like a glimpse behind the curtain. And that's the one you always want to ask the Navy pilots don't say, have you ever seen a UFO? Say, what's the weirdest thing you have ever seen? Right. Because everybody's got a weirdest thing they've ever seen. And if it just happens to be a UFO, well, that's their opportunity to, to, to answer that question. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen, Dan? And I don't mean UFO necessarily, just a weird thing. I mean, I did, I did see a UFO once. Oh, have you told um, me this story? I don't your UFO story. I, I probably did, but the weird thing about it was that, um, well, my that wouldn't probably qualify as a weird. I, have I, I? I told you about my friend in like uh, high school, early early college, right? Uh, go on. Um, she, you know what if. I think if there was whatever it is that's going on when it comes to things like alien abduction and and we have talked about this I think we talked about this last week or last episode but whatever there is something going on there is an experience that many 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 people tens if not hundreds of thousands of people maybe more have had it is an experience that they've all had. Whether it is a real experience that happened in the real world, the way that going grocery shopping happens, or whether it's something that happens in their mind or, or something else, whether in other words, maybe it's a mental disorder. Maybe mm. it's an actual real thing that's happening. I don't know, but something is going on in this phenomenon that we call alien abduction. Something's going on. Every single person reporting a very similar experience around the world, regardless of age, regardless of culture, uh, regardless of language, regardless of prior experiences in their life, regardless of social status. All these people report essentially a very similar, same kind of thing, regardless of what media they've been exposed to or lack of media they've been exposed to. There's something real that happens. It, it might be the same thing that when people describe a near-death experience a lot of the things that uh, people describe it, it, they've done tests and studies that have showed that those are similar things to what happens when you're essentially when your brain starts shutting down, uh, whether you're dying or, or close to death or whatever. For many people, those are spiritual experiences. Near death experiences are spiritual. They feel like they're connecting with things. They're as a feeling of love, of joy, of being reunited with, you know, etc. People are much more willing to believe in a near-death experience hmm. than they are in an alien abduction experience. 
Mm. Because people want to believe that there's an afterlife. People want to mm. believe that they'll see their, their loved ones again. And who wouldn't? And so the, generally those near-death experiences, and because we can't, we don't know what happens when you die or after you die, we want to have something positive and something that you hope for and, and a, an experience that seems good. Now, who wouldn't want to know? Well, after you die, you're like, you're going to get to hang out with your granddad again. Like, yeah, I want to hang out with him again. Uh-huh. So like you hear that kind of stuff, that kind of story, and you're like, yeah, okay, I can get along with that. But the alien abduction thing, it's, it sounds horrible. It's no less believable than I'm going to, when I die, I'll get this sort of tunnel. There'll be bright lights. My loved ones will all show up. They're still alive in, in this other place. Their spirits are there and they're welcoming me. And maybe I'll get to meet the big guy up there. And, you know, all of that sounds pretty good. The alien abduction stuff sounds pretty horrible. And so that might be why people are less willing to. But also it just sounds far-fetched. It sounds crazy. Like, really? There's aliens? Really? But there is something about that experience that has been reported consistently for so long and by so many people that I feel confident saying something's going on, John. Yeah. We don't know what it is very clearly. We don't know, but she, this was, I think I'm not sure if communion had come out yet, but I'd already been researching this and I, I, you know what? No, I come to think of it. Communion had come out and I'd read it. And she started describing, I have definitely told this story on other shows. Um, she had uh, had described, you know, she'd say, oh, I didn't sleep very well last night. So what happened? She said, uh, said well, you know, I, I had this dream where there were these three very thin cats, like Siamese cats almost, that were just standing there staring at me. And they had these huge almond-shaped black eyes. And it was a terrifying dream. And the next thing I woke up and it was morning. Mm. And of course, I had a kind of crazy imagination as, uh, you know, like probably 18, 19 years old. And I had also just read this book. And so I was very intrigued by this. And I would ask her more questions. I, You know, as much as... A, 19 year old cannot lead someone down a path. I was doing my best to not, you know, to ask as, as open-ended questions as I could, like, tell me more about this or whatever. But after talking to her a little bit about it, it, so much of what she was telling me was lining up with these abduction experiences that I'd read, whether it was the stuff that Bud Hopkins talked about and like, you know, and, and, um, what, all of his stuff that he wrote and the stuff that I was reading from Whitley Stryber and all these other things that I was aware of. I, I will say this. She was not into any of that. She was into going to the beach and getting her tan. She was into makeup. Sounds uh, good. She, yeah, she was beautiful. Um, she read a lot of Sylvia Plath, mm. uh, Plath, mm-hmm. as you would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, Oh, what's that? Um, uh, Running up that hill, that uh, female singer, Kate Bush. Kate Bush, really into Kate Bush. Um, you know, she had a a very uh, active nightlife, social life. She was not reading this stuff. This was not interesting to her. But as much as I believe it was, ha- it's happening to anyone. It was happening to her. And after we talked about it, she 
very quickly started talking about it more openly. Like, yeah, they're, this is, this is, I think they're aliens. That's what I think is going on. And she took her a while to kind of, I think admit to herself that maybe it, it was like that, but it took her longer to talk to me about it. And I was really intrigued and at the same time terrified by it Um, because it was a terrifying experience. And to hear the things that she talked about and the detail that she went into, you know, she had the experience with them, you know, putting, you know, little like what what we would call uh, operating tools, like um, long needles that they would put into her nostril or up in, in her, like the corner of her eye. And like, there would be like a little item on the end of it as it would go in and it would come back out and the, the item wouldn't be there anymore. And lots of other really disturbing things that she would talk about. And, um, then there was the whole thing of, I mentioned her active social life. Um, there were a few times where she would be pregnant or late by Whoa. an extended period of time have one of these disturbing dreams that would turn out, you know, Oh, the owls were looking at me or the cat was in my room again, staring at me with the giant eyes. And then the next morning wouldn't be pregnant anymore. That happened several times. And that was really creepy. And, you know, could she have been making it up? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, I knew her for years and she just wasn't that kind of person. She was just not that kind of person. Are you saying that the greys were harvesting her babies? Well, that's a known thing in this. That's that's a big part of what they're doing is they're making hybrids. But she had other experiences wow. and uh and uh, that that were interesting. And so get this. One time I came over there at house um and uh, I was picking her up we were going to go somewhere. And uh, you know, I knew her, I knew her parents from having met them before and 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 uh, and her younger sister. And um, her mom and her sister were sitting there at the table and they're like, oh, Daniel, you'll probably like this. Come here. And and she's drawn these pictures. This is her mom drawn these pictures. And she's like, I'm like, what's that? She's like, well, I just had a weird dream. And I've had this dream a bunch of times before. This is the mom saying this or uh-huh. the, or, the mom, or, uh-huh. the mom, okay, the mom. And, uh, and, and she's like, yeah, you know, and um, yeah. And so here's what the inside of the ship looks like. And here's the table where they put you. And here's the thing that they bring down over, you know, over top of you. And it has the lights in it. And and they stand around here. And this is what the top, the ceiling of the ship looks like. And here's where the lights are on it. And here's how you get in. And she was talking about this, like the way you would kind of describe a dollhouse that you had when you were a little kid, you know, like that's her, her dollhouse. That's what she was. Just very nonchalant. Just like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, is this something that happened she's like well you know it's a dream and i've had it before well i knew from the research that i'd done is that this is a generational thing that if you're if you're being abducted or whatever the phenomenon is i'll just call it that if you're being abducted then your parents were and probably their parents were too this is a multi-generational thing and that if you have kids they're going to be abducted too interesting because this is part of some kind of uh, going along with the theory It, it goes along that uh this is part of a a, um, I guess you would call it a, a program that they have. Their goal is to essentially create a human alien hybrid that from appearances is human, uh, but that is, is in its mind alien, whether they're doing that so they can live here, run the world, take over the planet. I have no idea, but this is the theory. 
And so there were, she had experiences like this all the time, would always tell me about it. And it was very creepy and I was absolutely fascinated by it. And she hated it. She did not want to talk about it. She didn't want to discuss it. She didn't want to remember it when she would remember it. Uh, it, it was recounting a very traumatic experience. You know, somebody mm. I've heard people talk about being attacked or mugged or worse. Uh, I've heard people recount stories of being in uh, bad accidents. That's the way she talked about it. This was not someone playing a game. This was somebody who really, and eventually we'd stop talking about it completely because it was too upsetting for her to talk about. Um, she told me about a story once where she, she worked in the mall at, for a, a brief period where she worked in a clothing store and a woman's clothing store in the mall. And she told me how, uh, once, uh, during the day when she was working there and the mall wasn't very busy, someone came in and she didn't want to look at the person's eyes. She didn't really want to make eye contact or look at the person's face at all. And this, uh, this person seemed to be very older and frail and of course larger head thin body but not not totally alien but not quite human i mean if it was totally alien it would have made the newspaper right but yeah. just human but a little weird a little different and the person asked for you something like do you have any thin white sweaters or clothing or something like that and uh, and she said she was so chilled by this person that she just, you know, left and said, oh, I'll go check in the back and like was too scared to come back out. OK, so now this leads to me and what the thing that I think I saw. I, I saw the UFO, but that was much more recent um, and I didn't think much of it uh, because I'm generally very skeptical, even of my own, you know, perceptions. Uh, but. So I was work. This was back. Um, this other thing that I saw. This was back when I was working at uh, Publix grocery store, and I was I had started out as a uh, bagger. So you bagging the groceries, taking them out to people, you know, with the carts out, and that was a thing that Publix prided itself on. Was that I always wanted to do that when I was a kid. I always thought that was the coolest job. It was a good job. We were not allowed to take tips, but everybody took tips. And you would, you were like required to say, no, I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I can't accept that. I'm sorry. And then like, they'd be like, I ah, just take it. I'm like, I'm, I can't. I'm like, just take it. I'm like, all right. So we'd make tips, but it was a great job. And I had been promoted. I uh, worked very, very hard and uh, got promoted to, um, to part-time stockman, which meant I would, you know, like help out the stockman. I was assigned to an aisle. So first I did dairy, then I did frozen food. Then I was in what they called bottles, which meant like Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, all the soft drinks. And so that was like my aisle. And those things sold like crazy. They sold like crazy. People would come in and they'd buy their two liters of Coke. And it was like constant busyness, always restocking the Coca-Cola, always restocking it. And I remember one day, uh, the store wasn't too busy. I was, you know, going to, you know, you'd have your little notepad and you'd keep it in your pocket and you'd uh, write down what was missing. You know, I need three cases of this, two cases of this, three things and that. And you'd go in the back and load it up and bring it back out and stock the shelf. And by then half the other things would be gone. So you'd write that down and go back. And so, yeah, there was, um, I walked by one of the aisles and I saw a person 
Wait a minute. The weirdest thing you've ever seen was in a grocery store? Yeah. All and right, go on. there was a person uh, who was, they at first blush, they seemed to just be older. Uh, but they were, they didn't look like a regular person. They weren't. It didn't look like this was a person with some kind of deformity. They looked like they were supposed to be this way. But the subtle difference was that they had very, very thinning sort of minimal hair. And <laughs> dude, they had, the lady had black eyes, like solid black eyes, like almond shaped eyes. Smaller than the pictures of the aliens that I've seen, but like legit. And you would think that somebody like me, I would have been like, okay, let's get a closer look here. Sure. But it absolutely chilled me to the bone. It freaks me out to talk about it now. I've only talked about it one other time. It's absolutely horrifying. Thinking about it is scary. And it was not, I wasn't confused. I wasn't under the influence of anything. I wasn't ever looking for this kind of thing. I mean, this was like a legit, there was something, something here. There was something different. And I sort of stopped in my tracks when I saw this person, looked at them for a second and they looked at me and I was the only other experience I've ever had where being looked at felt this terrifying was uh, when we lived on Illinois street in downtown Orlando uh, one night, really late at night, you know, probably I don't know, three, four in the morning, I'd come back from something and I walked up to the door and we had an outdoor porch and we had uh, little sconces and, and, you know, with the lights on them by the door. And I was unlocking the door and just something caught my eye and I looked over to my left and there was an owl there and it was just staring right at me in the dark and you could only really just see it's two wide bright eyes looking at you it had seen me a mile away as i was parking walking up but i didn't see it until that last second and it scared the crap out of me because there's these two giant yellow eyes staring at me right and there's something natural that, you know, I know we're predators, but there's something about seeing predatory eyes looking at you in the dark at night that's freaking terrifying. Mm. So this thing startled me. And I, of course, I laughed and then Al just sort of sat there looking at me. I'm not saying that this person that I saw in the store was predatory, but there was the same feeling of being seen and and knowing that person knew that I was seeing them and they were seeing me seeing them. And I kept, I started walking again and walked a couple aisles down and thought, is that what you think that was? And my heart was racing. I was breathing really fast. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and look again. 
And I turned around and I started walking back. And when I got back to Dow, they were gone. Did I hallucinate that? Did I imagine it? Was it just a person? Was it, did I see them wrong? I will never know. But I can tell you, John, that was the freakiest thing that I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. And it has haunted me my entire life ever since then. Was it just some weird looking person? My gut says it wasn't, but it was weird. And that was the weirdest thing compared to that. The UFO that I saw was like no big deal. The UFO story I have, it doesn't even compare to the story you just told last week. Uh, yours is a much better, much more interesting story. Which Publix was, did this happen at? Um, down in like, uh, between Boca and Delray beach, you know, which is apparently, you know, maybe not a hot spot for alien activity, but you never know. Interesting. We would like to say thank you very much to Audible. Paul Rudd leads an all-star comedy cast in Escape from Virtual Island. This is a new scripted audio comedy written by John Lutz of SNL and 30 Rock, and it's on Audible. I know you think of Audible as being the place to go for audiobooks. It's true. But now they're doing this kind of cool stuff. Rudd is joined by Jack McBrayer, Paula Pell, Amber Ruffin, and a host of your favorite people in comedy in this crazy adventure it's set on a remote luxury resort island in the year 2038 adventure seekers are flocking there to live out their weirdest wildest fantasies and custom-made virtual reality simulations and an important guest goes missing a ragtag search party led by paul rudd's maladjusted resort air plunges you deep into the world of vr in hopes of returning with the lost guest and some sense of reality you can start your spring off completely lost in comedy delight. It's true. With Escape from Virtual Island, you can listen for free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash virtual island, audible.com slash virtual island, or text virtual space island to 500-500. That's a thing. People do it. But either way, get your 30-day free trial and go listen to this fun show. Thanks very much to Audible for making this show possible. Yeah, I've been to a lot of Publix because they have great roast beef sandwiches. I need to say that every time. Wow, there are a lot of Publix down there between between Boca and Delray Beach. On the corner of um, Palmetto and Powerline. Corner of Palmetto and Powerline. Yeah. It looks pretty much wanna... the same. I went in there last time I was down in uh, visiting family down there. Uh, and it looked pretty much, they redid the outside of it, but the inside is exactly as I remember it. Hey, Mr. Sands, you still work there? My old boss. Uh, yeah, here it is. It, it comes right up. Yeah, it's a Publix supermarket at garden shops at Boca. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, the UFO that I saw was sitting at the sitting at a stoplight at night, probably well, one or two in the morning. The maybe. UFO was sitting at a stoplight. Well, I, I would was sitting say at a that stoplight. trumps that. Maybe trumps it was ele- maybe it was eleven o'clock. Maybe it wasn't that late. No, you know what? It might have been earlier. I don't know. It was nighttime. It was dark, and uh, and I was sitting at the at a light, and you know, I don't know, maybe thirty yards away. Um. I just saw this object. It was um, vaguely triangular shaped, small, 
looked small, hard to tell when it's up above. Um, what was interesting to me about it was that there was, my windows were down. Uh, there were, there was no sound. And usually if you see like a small plane or something like that, you hear, you hear it. Planes have engines in them, John. And I did not hear any sound. My windows were open. And it was just sort of situated there. And I thought, well, you know what, you know why it, it looks like that. It looks like that because it's coming from the distance. And sometimes if you see a plane that's heading just kind of straight toward you or passing over you, that it looks like it's not moving. It's actually moving very fast, but it looks like it's kind of stationary. And I sat there watching it and this happened to be a kind of long light. And I sat there watching it and I thought, well, pretty soon it'll start to look bigger and I'll start to hear it. But that never happened. And another thing that was interesting about it is that the bottom of the object was illuminated very brightly. Not so bright I couldn't look at it, but it was very bright, like almost as if there was a spotlight shining against the bottom surface. Typically, when I've seen planes at night, they're hard to see. You often only see the little lights on the wingtips. This didn't have wings, and it was just this bright illumination on the bottom as it just sort of sat there. And for as long as the light was there, it never moved. And um, I looked for sources of light beneath it that maybe could have been projected onto it. I thought maybe it was something else. Hmm. Wasn't definitely wasn't a drone. People have asked me if it was a drone, uh, but it didn't freak me out or scare me or anything. I was like, well, don't know what that was. And kept going. Hmm. Uh, but it, you know, was it just a plane? I don't know. Was it just a plane? Uh-huh. Well, this is all a lot of food for thought, Dan. I, um, I'm curious about the familial connection. See, I have not read extensively within the UFO community. Um, I don't, for two reasons, uh, I don't actually like to be scared. And, um, and this kind of stuff spooks me. Yes. And I don't like that feeling <clears throat> of, um, the hair on the back of my neck raising up. I don't like thrillers. I I mean, uh, thrillers where people are like shooting and driving fast. Fine. But I don't like scary movies. I don't like things jumping out from behind things at me. I don't like gore Mm -hmm. and I don't like, uh, being alone in the house at night and feeling spooked. No, I hate that. I hate it all. I can't stand it. And all that stuff, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm susceptible to it. I know there are so many people that love being scared, love horror movies, but with the with the UFO stuff, I think a long, long time ago, <clears throat> I figured that I knew enough to know what I wanted to know, and I didn't want to spend a ton of time uh, reading abduction reports no. or whatever. I just wanted to stay out of that space. Because I do spend a lot of time alone at night, and I like that time to be relaxing and groovy and yeah. not to feel like something's looking at me through the windows or that uh, someone is that, that beings are able to paralyze me and erase my memory. I don't mm. like any of that. No, no. 
But the idea, this is the first time I've ever heard the idea that abductions would travel in families. Absolutely. This is, this is one of the things that is within the context of this space universally accepted. Hmm. I can because, I know, can send you stuff if you do want to read about it. I can send you stuff. Well, send me the send me two things that are the best okay. that are not just like some hillbilly that is trying to get on the news. Because you know, my mom in the 1950s, my mom came to the conclusion independently that, and you know, 1950s. Uh, UFOs were in the news. Mm-hmm. They were a fairly new phenomenon, right? The the ones right. that were sighted over Mount Rainier was 1948, 1946, something like that. So my mom would have been in her teens. Mm-hmm. And in the early 50s, she devised a theory that, she, that has been with her the rest of her life, which was that uh, that human beings were a product of alien experiments on earth right and the reason that there weren't clear archaeological records of humans you know uh, of human forebears this was at a time when lucy had been discovered oh yeah yep and uh and it was all the rage like look it's our earliest ancestor but there was there were all those questions of like where is there seems to be it seems like there would be a lot more just sort of human, humanoid fossils. Now, I, I'm sure that there are some paleontologists listening who are saying, there are plenty. I'm not sure. It seems like, it seems like we can trace the evolution of birds pretty easily. Yeah. But maybe fossil remains, maybe they're less, maybe there were just a lot more birds. I don't know. It seems like there's so much uh, mystery around the evolution of humans. We, we see humans arrive on the scene and then we see some, uh, some forebears that are, you know, like the first monkey to ever stand or something, you know, the first monkey to walk on the ground. Anyway, my mom's theory, and I'm just parroting what she says, you know, I don't, this isn't my religion, Mm -hmm. but she's, she felt like they were using the, the world, our world as a kind of Petri dish. And they would come down and monkey around and we're creating, we're, we're playing a role, played, had a hand in the game. Let's say it's not like they were farming us or anything like that. They were just showing up periodically and making minor tweaks in the same way that you would show up and make minor tweaks. If you were growing an orchid (laughs) or if you were making a bonsai right from the standpoint of a bonsai, well, from the timeline of a bonsai, it probably seems like people are monkeying with it all the time. But from the standpoint of an orchid, know somebody comes in comes along every once in a while snips off something snips off some dead maybe breeds you with a with another beautiful orchid anyway she came to this uh, she came to this um in the 50s and has just been sort of unwavering in it despite all of her 
her weird Buddhism that she picked up along the way, and despite <laughs> all the her love for Methodist hymns and um, her radical anti-war politics and all the things that a person would come to between the ages of 16 and 86, uh, the idea that the that UFOs were playing some part in in the game, she's never she's never deviated from it, and I've always felt a special connection to UFOs, even as I don't believe in them or even as I, not that I don't believe in them, but even as I am dubious and doubtful, I'm not seeking it. I don't, uh, ever since that Brady Bunch episode where it was clear that, uh, that Greg was, uh, was playing a prank. I've been very aware of all the Frisbees that get thrown (laughs) and, uh, and filmed, you know, on super eight cameras. And yet I still am always thinking, even, you know, even yesterday walking along, just kind of thinking about, uh, when the UFOs finally make themselves known Mm -hmm. what, you know, what my reaction is going to be, how, what an exciting day that's going to be, how, um, how hopeful I am about it. Uh, you know, and a lot of it for me feels like a job program because I know that when that happens, they're going to you know, they're going to call me up right. and say, Hey, we need, we need your help here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Help us out. Uh, help us get but, home. You know, maybe uh, that's right. <laughs> home, home, <laughs> ouch. But, uh, but maybe, um, you know, maybe my confidence that the, that the UFOs want to talk to me and have a job for me is maybe because they've been, they've been, uh, grooming my family for all these many years not as abductees because i don't think although you know my pillows have turned to owls but that was more of a i didn't feel any fear and i don't i never felt like we went anywhere or they touched me at all yeah it felt more like a council more like a more like a, a board meeting or a you know a zoom meeting except they were all there and they were my pillows mm-hmm but you know, it might be. It might be that they've uh, that they that they were working with my mom, and they were like, "Look, we uh, <laughs> we don't we're not asking a ton out of you, but just um, you know, tell your kid about us, and uh, we're gonna we're we're busy like taking farmers and stealing babies from from uh, pretty girls, but uh, but with you, it's some it's something else. We're just gonna you know, there's." 10%, 10, 10% awareness. And then next generation, we're going to give 25% awareness or something. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Well, the, the upside though, for you, as far as the alien thing goes is from what I've heard and from what I know, generally speaking, if, if you haven't already been abducted and there would be a lot of the people who have these experiences, their lives are pretty disrupted. Hmm by it. This is, this isn't like a casual thing and the rest of your life is just fine. Like this affects people, whatever this is happening, it affects them deeply in their lives. They're not just okay going about their life and don't realize it. You would know, you would know if there were things over the course of your life that didn't line up. And if you haven't experienced these things, you're not being abducted and the likelihood it's almost nil that people have a one-off experience 
where they're just, they've been all their life, no encounter of any kind. And then they're, you know, 53 years old and they get abducted for, that's just, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. So in other words, you don't have to worry about it. Well, I'm not worried about being abducted, but you know, I do feel like they're watching me. I'm sure they are. I mean, I can, I can go along with that. Yeah. You especially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, but, but, uh, but it's comforting to me to know that they're not going to take me. I don't want to go anywhere. I would like to be asked if they said, would you like to come on board our ship and then take a look around? I would say, well, sure. If they said, would you mind if we communicated with you via telepathy, uh, or, uh, psionics, mm. uh, but we're not going to monkey with your thoughts. We're not, we're not here to, uh, to implant thoughts in your brain and make you think that you had them. Right. We just, you know, we would just like, a to be able to con- converse with you and not have to like show up and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would be like, fine. I mean, nothing I can do about it if you have that technology, but if you're asking for my consent, I appreciate that. And I grant you that consent given, you know, barring some limitations, right? I mean, I don't want you to wake me up unless it's really an emergency. <laughs> um, but you know, if we had like a scheduled thing or if you, you know, periodically were like, Hey, ding dong. Hi, sorry to bug you, but I'd say, yeah, fine. I mean, it also teach me how to do it. Right. I, right. I don't want it to be a one way call. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like if the, you know, if the ships appeared over the city tomorrow or if, um, you know, if there was something that was, if there was a sighting that was just like, well, the jig is up. It's not some weird infrared footage from a from a, a Mach 2 jet of a 40-foot-long tube behaving strangely, and all we have is some black and white footage of it and an and a audio recording of a pilot going, whoa, mm-hmm. no way, dude. <laughs> but if there was something where, you know, it was like, oh, that's clearly – a craft mm-hmm. and these are like color. This is color film of it taken by multiple people. And it is, then this craft is being crafty, but not so crafty that they're clearly aware now that they're being observed. When the day that that happens, it will be a very exciting day. And I think most people will say, well, darn, isn't that fun? Now, if it doesn't happen in our lifetimes, as you say, I'm just a skeptic. I don't, I have no, it's the same way I feel about God. I got no dog in that race. I'm not going to stand here and tell you there isn't a God. What, what, how, what, what a, what a load of hubris I would have to have to tell you there wasn't one. Right. Um, so I'm not going to say they're not UFOs. I'm not going to say there is UFOs. Mm-hmm. But when they do show up and fly around for mm-hmm. the first time mm-hmm. and everybody's like, okay, let's stop pretending. Now what do we do? And it'll be clear to us like, well, our army is kind of not any match for these guys. Will Smith or no. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe we should, maybe we should like not think about it in terms of how are we going to fight them? I think that the military has contact with them primarily because the military is the one that is making the craft that are, that are equipped. Right. Right. Like an F 18. If, if, if there were UFOs flying around and we were like, Oh, they're, they're here. You'd still have to use F 18s to go look at them. It's not like you're going to repurpose a a 737 and say, "Go on, go on, fellas, chase them." <laughs> right. I'm excited for it. I don't think it would cause mass panic. Oh, of course it would. Well, but like mass panic for an hour? No. What else are people going to do? I mean, they have all the people that believe in God are already totally prepared to believe in a in somebody riding a golden chariot across the sky, you know, they've all, they're primed for supernatural stuff. I don't, and, agree, I don't agree with you on that. I think, I think the more religious the person is, uh, if, if you're talking about at least Judeo Christian, I think the tougher, and I could be wrong. Um, but I think the tougher it would be for them to, accept something like this because it goes directly against most of the things that they've been taught. For example, that, excuse me, um, that human beings are, are God's uh, special, special creatures, special creation Mm -hmm. that we Mm -hmm. are. um, We are unique in the universe. We are created in God's image. Um, If, if there were aliens showing up, the, the usual thing that I've heard as an explanation from people who, uh, fall into that category are that they are they are demons or they are the spawn of the of the devil Demon. they are yeah that they're demons that maybe they are real sure but they're demons and mm. they're bad uh. um, the idea that they would pe- people from that kind of background with a strong faith i think those are the people who would be unwilling to not just believe it, but accept it. And I think it would really affect people's worldview in that regard. I don't, I don't think that it would be good for society or anything. If, uh, if that were to come out that way. Well, you know, my, my take on that is just that at least in my experience, um, religious people, are capable of like dramatic and radical shifts in perception in the sense that they have taken every single bit of science and found a way to make it either not conflict with their belief or found a way to, um, mold and shape it to confirm their belief. Mm -hmm. Like religious people are incredibly adept and adroit at, um, at processing any information and, and seeing it as, I mean, a hurricane can come and destroy a mega church and kill everyone in it. And all of the other religious people will say it was God's, it was God's doing. 
And if you'd said it a week before, they would have said, God would never do that to his faithful. But then it happens, and rather than say it was a random act, or rather than say it was a retributive act, or whatever, they would say God works in mysterious ways. And I just feel like the 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 people that would have the hardest time with it are, um, I think, are the people that are convinced that there aren't any, mm-hmm. and those are people that are science people, typically, or doubters. Um, and, and people that are like, well, if they, if there were UFOs and they were here, we would have detected them with our magic detection boxes that aren't magic. And those people, because they're science people would, as soon as there was evidence for it, they would go, huh, (laughs) well, looks like I was wrong. You know, they're not going to be the ones that are like, my faith is shaken to the core. And and people of faith are just going to call it whatever they want to call it. They're going to say, God is doing it to test us. Or they're going to say, they're angels. I mean, you know, like, I, I honestly don't think that human beings are prone to lasting mass hysteria. And see, all this time, I thought you were kind of pessimistic on group group humanity and and people people oh no you know i'm not oh i think you i thought you were no i have tremendous faith in humanity it's why i get up in the get up every day i really do you know it's i don't think you can be a liberal now i'm not talking about a leftist Mm -hmm. right now but even leftist i think it's intrinsic to being a progressive thinker that you have faith in humanity you know, it's a, that you are a that you are a Lockean rather than a Hobbesian. It's a it's at the foundation of the idea that human beings can improve, right? Liberalism, the idea of it is that we are making progress, and conservatism is the idea that well, a lot of progress is progress in the wrong direction. And we need to hunker down and we need to preserve what is what we've preserved the ground that we've gained and not get too crazy with this future looking. And it's just, it's just, it's intrinsically pessimistic about what our prospects are. And I think the you know, I think the 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 more progressive you are, and again I make a distinction between that and its current usage as like a like a um, angry radical progressivism, mm-hmm. which strikes me as extremely pessimistic in that they're always looking for the thing that is the worst about any situation. But no, my whole life has been colored by, I think both of my parents, their belief that technology, but also, you know, social growth, um, psychology, philosophy, all those things are ongoing and, and forward looking and, and hopeful. And my whole take on alien, you know, if I have a take on it, it is also that this moment we're deriving toward this, or this arrival, this announcement is a hopeful one. I don't think they're here to farm us and, and use us as blood bags for their (laughs) spawn. (laughs) Right, I don't think that they're coming here to mine all the all the uh, floridium out of the Earth's core <laughs> and are going to cast us off into space. I feel like much more like these Carl Sagan's 
you know, that's the stuff that I was raised to believe that if they want to communicate with us, that's going to be exciting. And well, you heard what Stephen Hawking and others have said is that we should should not be communicating with them. He's like, shut it down. Yeah. (laughs) There are too many scary things out there. And I think. Right. We don't want to broadcast that we're deeply in our infancy when it comes to technology, space exploration and communication. And it's, it's almost an invitation for a potentially uh, an, a non-benevolent being or, you know, planet of beings to pay us a visit. And we're not yeah. ready for that yet. Please don't visit us is what he was saying. Uh, I think he's, you know, I think there's a, that, that that's a funny remark and I think it's true. <laughs> yeah. And it's all the more reason that you hope that the grays have been here all along and are you, and are farming us like orchids because, <laughs> uh, because when the when the dragon people come, maybe the Greys will fight them off, fight them off out by Alpha Centauri. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on your take on the uh, the reptilians and what what you think is up with them. That's a whole different conversation, right? Next week. Well, I I mean, I have to wonder if I mean, what what if one day we all woke up and there was clearly a space battle happening out around mars Mm -hmm. and you could see it you could see it from earth like explosions and and uh sea beams glittering and uh you know star destroyers like what the hell would you what the hell would you say then like it's happening here but it seems completely unrelated to us right now Mm -hmm. like no one has it's not happening here right Right. the grays are holding the reptilians off out there a couple of planets away. Well, well, there, are, there are a lot of people who would say that the grays are actually a, well, if I may, um, the grays are said to be an engineered beings. They're not alive. Oh, really? Yes. They're, they're not alive in the way that we think of life. They're alive in that they, they can think and they can move and they can interact. Uh, but they're not alive in the way that human beings are alive. They're more oh. like, I've heard them described almost more like biological robots, almost in a way that they're biological. Robots. Yeah, almost. And, and that they're, they're create or another way to say it is they're created beings. They're I not. See. All right. Uh, and, and that those that they were created by another race, if you will, another alien species in order to, Basically, they do the grunt work. They are the ones who come down and bring people up into the ships. They're the ones who are handling the people and moving them around and doing things, operating things. Someone makes a, makes a mess on, on the ship, they clean it up. They're, they're not at a higher level. They're running procedures. They're, they're drones, if you And will. the reptilians are, the, are the, the officer class? Well... It depends on which philosophy you take. There are some that would say that the um, the greys, this created race, are, are enslaved by them. There's another that says, no, no, it's the what, what they call the mantids or the mantis aliens, which are insectoid, insect-like alien beings, mm-hmm. that, and, and that what they did is that, and they are masters of genetics, it is said, and that they took just a little tiny bit of humanity, DNA, whatever, and 
used that to create the what we think of as the greys so that they could exist here on earth in order to come and get us basically and to do that work and interact with us so they because the mantis are very very different look very different and are never never seen in the actual doing any actual abductions and a lot of the time they're kind of in the background they're overseers they don't get their hands dirty they have the workers to do that and the workers are the grays there's two different kinds of grays there's the very short ones and there's the taller ones the taller ones have a more of an overseer type of a role the smaller ones are doing a lot of the more basic tasks but mm. above the, the basic ones, yeah, above the grays, even the tall grays are the mantids. But they're interestingly, well, you can get into the whole reptilian thing there. I've heard them called different things. One of the things I've heard them called is archons, but they also, they have a very different agenda and it's, there's a potential that maybe they have also taken control of or enslaved or in some way have the grays doing things for them as well. Don't know. That's I don't really go too far into the reptilian space because it just seems like it's a, a whole other a whole other thing. I've I've learned a little bit about it, but maybe that'll be the next thing I study. Well Dan, you've got to send me uh you've got to send me like a little reading list. Just the top <clears throat> just the t- top level stuff. Could I send you a video, you know? a YouTube video that you could watch or listen to? YouTube. Video. You know, it's like a radio interview. Is that something? Yeah. You know? Well, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't like listening. To, don't like listening to other people talk. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's but where what, the good what, stuff what, is. But I'll, I'll see if I can dig up. Is some that writing. right? Or is that really where the good stuff is? In, in people this don't space, like to write stuff down. They write it down, but the the interviews. Uh, there's one I was going to send you with Dr. David Jacobs. Um, and uh, Dr. David Jacobs is well-known researcher in this space. And um, the best informa- information about him is, um, is in interviews that he's done. So, All right. Well, send it to me. And I can't make you do anything, John. No, no, no. Send it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. Okay. All right. 